0: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of No BS Finance. We are back after a bit of a hiatus for the holidays and also while I was traveling, so if you caught the market wrap, you'll know that I've officially gone international with the podcast as I am recording this from New Zealand, and the next few will be from New Zealand as well, so ain't that neat? And today, we are kicking off the 2024 episodes by talking about the role of bonds in your portfolio. And I know you're thinking, Nick, like, God damn it, this is gonna be a boring ass episode, but I swear it won't be. It may not be the most exciting investment, but I've had a new perspective on it recently, and I wanna share that knowledge with you. And I'm gonna do my best to make this a really, really exciting, yeah, exciting. We'll make it exciting and interesting and something you wanna to listen to, because I know bonds kinda of can put some people to sleep, but we're gonna do our best to make it interesting and make you really wanna invest in bonds. But before we get into that, as always, this podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not meant as investment advice. If you do like the podcast, please download it, like it, share it with your friends as it does help tremendously. My email, my Instagram, my website, they're in the show notes if you want to ask any questions or if you have any real life scenarios you want me to cover on the podcast. If you're interested in a one-on-one consult, check out my website. The link is in the show notes and also in my Instagram bio. Other than that, let's kick off this episode on the role of bonds in your portfolio. So let's kick this off by talking about why I am actually making this video. Because for me, I've been pretty set in my ways about how I invest and how I believe others should invest. I've been pretty bullish on stocks and have basically been on like a 90-10 split to like a 95-5 split between stocks and other securities, mainly gold at the moment. But I'm currently reading a book called The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. Um, You may have heard me mention it in my last podcast episode right before the new year where I said it's a great book to read. And hey, newsflash, it is a great book to read. I'm uh, about three quarters through, really, really good book. And it's touted as one of the best investing books ever written. It has been promoted by Warren Buffett and other great value investors And While I can see how it would be a super, super dry book for many people, to me, it has been really insightful and I'm actually taking my time reading it, which, if you know me, is not how I read books. I usually read them super, super fast. So anyways, I'm reading this book and it is giving me a new perspective on how an investing portfolio should be made up, even though it was written in 1970 and then it was updated Or like the four, not the forward, like the commentary in between is in the 2000s, like early 2000s, I think it's 2001 or 2002. So many of the principles carry over, which just means that it's a good book if it stands the test of time. So that is the background on why I'm making this podcast. And I'll be briefly reviewing what bonds are, the different types of bonds. And then finally, I'll be talking about kind of why this matters to you and the role that bonds should play in your portfolio. So I previously previously oh boy words I previously did an episode on bonds. I believe it was episode 18. So check that out for a bit more in-depth look at bonds with various examples and a little bit more math than I'm going to give right now. But I just want to do a quick review of what bonds are and the different types. So bonds are essentially debt that a company or government will sell to the public. These bonds come with a maturity date. They are sold in chunks of, uh, they're, they're sold in like round numbers, so like 100, 1,000, like 10,000, that kind of thing. Um, they come with a coupon rate, also called a yield, and can be bought at a premium or a discount. So we're going to try and break these down real quick. Um, a maturity date can vary greatly, but it's usually no date, no, no less than 10 years. And at this maturity date, that's when the bond expires and you will get the par value of the bond back. And like 100 to 1,000, like those chunks that I was talking about um, that are their sales price, those chunks are usually called par value. Now, if a bond is a really high quality bond, then it will sell at a premium meaning that it will sell over the par value. And we'll get into like what a high-quality bond is in a second. But if it's a really high-quality bond, then it will sell at a premium, meaning over the par value. So like if it's sold in chunks of 100 that's how we're going to refer to everything right now, it would sell at like $105 or something like that. And then at the end of the maturity, you would get $100 back. So the premium is $5. Now, if the bond isn't as attractive, it will sell at a discount. Meaning less than the par value, like 97 or 95 or something like that. And coupon rates or yields are essentially the interest you will get paid, usually monthly, sometimes quarterly, and stuff like that. So, like at a regular interval. And you get these interest payments as long as you hold the investment. So, hopefully, that kind of made sense. It was a lot of kind of confusing information in a short period. So I want to break it down and talk about some examples, so it's kind of like ingrained about what exactly bonds are, um, what kind of premium you're paying on them, just stuff like that. So I just want to put put the nail the. Ha- oh my God, what's the hammer on the head? Yeah, that one. Whatever that saying is. Jesus, God, I suck. First, what makes a bond attractive or unattractive? So bonds are attractive or unattractive based on their rating. And bond ratings go from, okay, we're going to start at the highest, from government to triple A, double A, single A, triple B, double B, B, and then below B. So government bonds are the highest rated bonds and therefore the least risky. Why? Because they have the lowest chance of default, meaning that they won't miss interest payments, And you will get the par value of your investment back at the end of the maturity. And why won't they miss interest payments? Well, they won't miss interest payments because governments, unlike everybody else on this planet, are able to print money, unlike corporations. So everything AAA and below are usually corporate bonds, except you can have some government bonds if you're in like, um, not the US, probably not Canada, like... Um, a less developed country just because you do have that risk of default because the government might not be able to pay you because say inflation's super high or say they have super high debt or something like that and they have to pay off other people before they pay you um, just stuff like that but for the sake of this we'll consider everything triple a and below kind of corporate um, and generally the a bonds are pretty high quality and have a low risk of default when you get to the single a it gets a little dicey but The lower you get, the more you get into what are called junk bond territory and your risk goes up because these companies don't have a good rating and the default risk is slightly higher. So let's do a very quick example here for the purposes of understanding this. Let's say there are $100 par value bonds out there from three um, institutions, the US government, Costco, and Bed Bath & Beyond. The U.S. government bond may sell at a premium because they are so safe and you are virtually assured of getting that $100 back at maturity, and they won't miss interest payments. So they might sell at something like $110 for a $100 bond, but because they are so safe, they will also have a lower coupon rate or a yield. So you might see something like a 2.5% yield on these. Okay, hopefully that makes sense. So they're selling at a premium because they are very high rated, but they're also gonna have a lower, or lower, not double lower, just one lower, lower yield on the bonds. You'll kind of see how these compare to other ones. So whereas Costco might be like, a Costco's pretty good, they're probably a triple A or maybe like a double A rating. So they might sell at something like $103 for a $100 bond or something hovering around that $100 range. But their yield will be slightly higher because they are slightly less safe than a government bond. So maybe it's at like 3.1% compared to the government bond of 2.5%. And finally, to really drive this home, Bed Bath & Beyond went bankrupt a little while back. And maybe they're trying to sell bonds to raise money and restructure and come out of it and do way better. So a $100 bond may only sell for like 80 bucks. And then at the end, you would get that $100 back and it will have a very high yield because this company is bankrupt or like has filed for bankruptcy. They're not doing well. So it would have like a super, super high yield, like 7% because they would be rated in the Bs or below Bs. So I don't know if Bed Bath & Beyond would actually be able to sell bonds, probably not, but just using that as an example, so that really kind of drives it home here. So you can get those government bonds that are super safe, but you won't get as much interest, whereas you could take a bit more risk and buy a junk bond with a high yield, but you run the risk of not getting your investment back or getting those interest payments. So there's a brief overview, of bonds, which turned out to not be overly brief. But now, why does this matter to you? Let's talk about how bonds fit into your investment portfolio. So as I mentioned earlier, bonds played virtually no role in my investing portfolio to date. And you know what? To to be totally honest, it has worked out really well. Like the markets in 2023 were great. 2022, I was kind of protected by uh some commodity shares that I had. So it has worked out, but it wasn't probably the smartest way to go about it. Um, I kind of just lucked out into that, especially with 2023 being such a good year in stocks when a lot of people thought that it wasn't going to be a great year in stocks. But yeah, so they they played virtually no role in my investing portfolio up until I read this book because it made it made really, really good points. The main one being that people have been and still are so, so, so high on stocks. Like they're so bullish on stocks in the last 10 to 20 years. They only see the stats of like, I don't know, you've probably heard this. Like if you invested like X amount in the S&P, you'd have so much, you'd have like millions of dollars by in it now, or stocks only go down for a short time before they bounce back up. Investors and advisors and brokers are so bullish on stocks that they get blinded by like these big returns that they see, like, I don't know, a couple times because they haven't seen a prolonged decline in stock value. Yes, like, don't get me wrong, there have been like short declines. Like, there was the 2008 crisis, which was absolutely brutal, but really it only lasted a few years. And now we're back at all time highs again. Like, these bull runs are lasting like 10 years or like 20 years at the moment. But there have been some bear markets that have lasted 10 plus years. And sorry, I haven't clarified, but I've clarified in previous podcasts. Bull, bullish means that like people think it's going to go up. Like A bull market is when the stocks keep going up. A bear market is when it's going down, essentially. And while stocks are very, very volatile, or they some stocks are, some are pretty, say, at the same level... Bonds generally don't move that much and they consistently pay you investment income in the form of interest. So even if the stock market is down and everything is doom and gloom and, oh God, like my portfolio's fucked and the market's fucked and the economy's fucked, you can rely on at least still getting investment income from your bonds. It provides safety and income in times of turmoil. And even when it's not turmoil, you're still getting investment income. And I was super opposed to this because I have a long time horizon until I retire and I can weather most storms. But why would I want to weather that storm without any protection? That's like literally, okay, I'm going to use a fucking storm analogy. That's like literally going out into a rainstorm without an umbrella because you're thinking you'll get dry at some point. It's just fucking idiotic. Like who who the fuck thinks like that? But it's also something that gets pushed by Wall Street and financial advisors and brokers and just all of them. They look at young people and say, you've got a long time horizon, you can weather any fluctuations, and you'll come out on top. Which, first of all, isn't fucking true. Who is to say that the stock market will continue to skyrocket? Because no one knows, yet people like to pretend that they know based on past trends. They feel super confident because that's what they've seen. So that's the first issue. The other issue is why not just add some bonds? Like sure. Sure, you you may not see like super super huge returns like you would with stocks. But in the bad times, while your stocks are tanking and they're down 30% and your whole investment portfolio is absolutely fucked, down 40%, your bonds will be there for you. They'll be down a few bucks, And will still be dishing income to you during these this really really hard time, especially the government bonds. So hopefully that has made some sense, and made you kind of rethink your 100% stock portfolio, like it has to me. Now I only have two more topics that I want to talk about here. The first is how much should you allocate? And as always with everything that I ever say ever, it depends. The book I'm reading recommends between 25% to 75% of your overall portfolio be in bonds. Now, in my opinion, 75% only makes sense if you are super close to retirement because you don't want to lose money. You don't want to lose money and by then, hopefully, you have a pretty good nest egg in there and you should be racking up investment income because the more money you put in bonds, the more investment income you make or the more interest you make. So I think 75% only really makes sense if you're close to retirement or you have retired. And I think 25% makes sense in your 20s and 30s, and then kind of like slowly creep that up the older you get. It's just a great way to still have income while still keeping your money safe. Now, the very last point I want to make is that directly purchasing bonds is only available through brokers and advisors. And you might be saying, Nick, you said I should invest on my own and now I have to go back to a broker. What's wrong with you? Why would you do this to me? Nah, fuck that. That's why ETFs are such a beautiful thing. There are bond ETFs that directly deal with buying, selling, and holding bonds of various ratings. And if you look at the price of the ETFs of the bonds for their maximum time frame, they barely fluctuate. They fluctuate by like a couple bucks up and a couple bucks down. It's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. So you can get an ETF that are all government bonds and triple A bonds. Or you can get some that are junk bonds with super high yields. Um, It really depends on like what you want um, out of your bonds, I guess. Like the high yield ones are really, really attractive. I wouldn't Say that they're maybe the best because they do have a little bit more fluctuation in price on their ETF, but hey, it's up to you. Um, I think Vanguard and BlackRock have some really great bond ETFs that have pretty good yields on them. Um, so you can make them a part of your portfolio. I'm a big fan of them, or at least I have been since I've started investing in bonds. I'm um, overall a really good. Big fan of Vanguard and BlackRock in general as asset managers. BlackRock is the biggest one in the world. Vanguard, I have a bunch of their ETFs because I think that they have really low expense ratios and they just do a great job. Um, so you can make, you can look up those ones. Like they have various ones. You can look at the yields. You can look at the expense ratios on them. I would recommend if you look them up, like literally just Google like Vanguard bond ETF. Um, find the name of like two of them. Put them in the Yahoo Finance. You can see the yield on the overview. You can see the expense ratio on the overview. And then you can look at the holdings, which is like another tab. And it'll show like what percent are double A's, what percent are government, like that kind of thing. And then you can see kind of what you want and kind of make your decision based on that. And yeah, you can make these part of your portfolio and really just start protecting yourself against the inevitable stock decline that will happen in the future. So that wraps up this episode. Some key takeaways from today. Bonds help provide investment income as opposed to capital gains. Um, 25 to 75% of your portfolio should probably be in bonds, whether that be corporate or government bonds. And the other percentage of your portfolio can be stocks, commodities, real estate. But just make sure it's diversified as always. And yeah, bonds are just an overall good investment for times of turmoil and even in good times like it's always nice to get a little bit more cash that you can reinvest or that you can use actually no you should reinvest it we're not even going to talk about spending that on other things so i hope you enjoyed the podcast and learned something new if you like the podcast please like it share it download it as it does help tremendously if you have questions shoot me an email happy to answer If you want to talk about your financial situation, find me on nobsfinances.com and let's get started. So thanks again, everyone. I hope you have a great day and we will see you next week.